0: I wanted an adventure that was truly unprecedented." Those are the words of Goran Kropp, and I'll get to him in just a few moments, but it kind of captures the theme of where we begin this morning. We in Western society celebrate individualism. Goran Krop was one of those who was a consummate adrenaline junkie. He died roughly 16 years ago now. And uh, he was one of those guys who loved to do things on his own. We love that in Western society. We celebrate the individual and individual achievement and effort. Last night, in preparation for the Super Bowl, we, at our house at least, were watching some of the NFL honors program. And part of that, they highlighted these individuals A couple of times they had groups in mind, but most of the time they were highlighting individuals, giving out awards for those individuals who did great stuff this year. Part of that, they recognized this year's class of the NFL Hall of Fame inductees. I I was intrigued as I watched that, that this, which is a team sport, celebrated the individual more than they did the team. We shouldn't be too surprised by that. That's Western society and our fascination with individual effort and accomplishment. We will see that over the next couple of weeks as we watch the Olympics unfold before us, and we will see those people. And occasionally there will be teams that will be recognized, but for the most part we will award those people who have great individual effort with gold and silver and bronze medals. Ours is a society in the West— that loves individual accomplishment. I wonder how it is with us. Let me go back to Gordon, Gordon Krop for a second. He wanted to be and to do something that was unprecedented, he said. So in the 1990s, in the late 90s to be exact, 96, he climbed aboard his bicycle in Sweden and he rode his bicycle alone, carrying all of his climbing equipment that he would need to climb Mount Everest. He rode across the continent to Nepal, all the way up to Mount Everest. And then over the next several weeks, he made the effort and finally succeeded in climbing Mount Everest totally by himself without the aid of bottled oxygen or anything like that. It was an incredible accomplishment. In the world of Climbers and adventurers celebrated him for, which brings us back to our chase with the preacher. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 today, if you have your Bibles, I would uh, invite you to join us there. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, we will find that the preacher, as we have come to know him, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, as he has been on his own chase, his search for meaning and fulfillment in life, that he comes up now and he turns to consider individualism as opposed to community. And finally… Finally, we find him saying some things in a stretch now that seem to be really good news for us, unless, of course, we buy into Western thought and the push for individualism that often becomes isolationism. So, his conclusion, I'll put it in my words the title of the message is Better a Rope than a string. Let's read together. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, he says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord Is not quickly broken. He begins by making this contrast between two different lifestyles, two different philosophies of life, actually. He comes in with this idea of individualism and of community, and he begins to play those off of one another. That's in verses seven and eight that we just read. And his conclusion of that is that it's empty if you decide to go, the I'll do it alone, I'll go it alone, I'll be my own kingdom and king in my kingdom, he says it's empty. And before it's all said and done, you won't have much to show for that kind of life. So, in verses 9 through 12, then, he comes in, and we're going to start pulling this apart in just a few moments, but he he comes back to emphasize why community or companionship is superior to individualism. If you'll notice, this whole passage is bracketed by two different proverbs. Everything that comes in between helps to understand those two proverbs. The first part of verse 9, two are better than one. It's a simple statement. Verse 12, The last part of verse 12 is the second proverb, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so, what he says with this, and here's the basic idea that we'll begin to flesh out as we work our way through this passage. He says this, in my words, not his, a life that is invested is a life that finds meaning. In other words, we're not designed to go it alone. Our system and our society may push us to that, to excel on an individual basis. But we're designed, maybe we could say it this way for those of us who are sports fans, uh, life is designed to be a team sport rather than a solo event. So if you're here today and you've bought into a society's push that says just suck it up and get through it on your own, pull back and muster your forces within yourself, and you can do this, if that's your whole approach to life and you find that somewhere that starts breaking down, as it did for the preacher, then I would say, listen to what he has to say for us as we work our way through this. He says in no uncertain terms, community is superior to individualism. I think we need to kind of wear that and own that for a while in a couple of places, so let me see if I can help us with that. I want you to stop for a moment as we move through this message, and let's just pause over this basic idea. Um, what about the relationships of your life? And, w- and we could flesh that out, and we, I could push you into certain arenas, so let me just do a little bit of that, but I want you to see faces, and I want you to hear voices, and well, I'm not hear voices like that. We have help for people who hear voices. But in, in your own head, I want you to hear the voices of those people who are part of your circle and who are part of the relationships of your life. Go to that most intimate inner circle of the people, whether it's your immediate family or if your family is not here and you have surrounded yourself with some other people. Who are the people that you are investing in in your life? Now, his point is, and will continue to be, that uh, it's better if we do life together. We're, we're, it is a team sport. We're designed to do this together. But I want to add to this, because I've walked the wrong side of this equation, that it's not just about surrounding yourself with people that makes it better. It's surrounding yourself with the right people that makes it better. I, as a youth minister, I used to love to listen to—well, no, I didn't. I didn't love to hear—I I didn't like it at all, but I used to get it a lot. These parents who would come to me, and they would be concerned about some of the, some of the types of teenagers that we were reaching through that youth ministry. And, and invariably, their argument one way or another would be this, I'm, I'm really afraid that those kids are going to be a bad influence on our kids. And what I needed to say more times than not to those parents was, hey, you should worry about your kid's influence on those other kids. Your kid's the problem, not those other ones. I didn't say that. That's why I'm still alive probably, but that's what I wanted to say. (laughs) Think about the relationships of your life. Have you surrounded yourself with people? Maybe it's not the inner circle. Maybe it's the next circle out. Go to your job, those of you who are still actively working on the job. Those people, you know, you spend, if you're like most working people, you spend more time with people you work with than you do with your family. Well, I mean, unless that's if you take out sleeping. You know, I mean, you might be around your kids a lot, but if they're sleeping and you're sleeping, that doesn't count. Your waking hours tend to be with those people you surround yourself with at work. What do you find there? As we'll find we work a little, little further around into this passage, we may find that, you know, it, some of those people that we are surrounded with make it easy for us to be individualists. We, we, we understand the need for people, for relationships, but it's difficult for us to maintain that in our society. Here's where I come from when I say that our society emphasizes and pushes individualism. Let me use social media as an example. Now, I know that we have all different age groups represented in here, and so I'm not even going to try to keep up with all the newest social media apps and programs that are out there. Let me just take the big three or four and push them out, because many of us in this church building today find our place in the world of Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it is that's that newest level that's out there now. You know, those, it's called social media on purpose because it's where we get out there into the social world in ways that we can't do it on our own. But here's what I found with social media historically. That is that it tends to be isolationistic in the way that it operates. I can sit in the comfort of my home at my computer, or I can whip out my cell phone wherever I happen to be. Oh, by the way, you want to know just how individualistic we are with our social media? Go to a restaurant and watch how many people sit at a table with other people and are focused on their phone all the time. Now, I like doing that. I like doing that until I don't like doing that because I get in trouble doing that. Because it's not healthy when I do that. That makes sense? You see, our whole social media thing, we get out there, but we do that sitting in the privacy of wherever we happen to be, and we can, well, I started to use a word I probably shouldn't, we, we can push out of the innermost parts of who we are some vile stuff on social media and hide behind the fact that I don't have to look someone in the eye and talk to them while I'm doing that. It was one of the most disturbing things I've ever had to go through as a pastor in the 2016 election cycle as I watched church members where I was at the time. Social media has its place for us, and it can be a very good thing, but if we hide behind it, it becomes a problem for us, and we go deeper into isolation in the process. One of the other things, just as a point of reference for us, um, as it relates to that individualism that often becomes isolation, you realize, don't you, that the older we get, the more isolated we get, the smaller our world gets. You know that as a kid, you have a small family, typically. The younger you are, the smaller that circle is. It gets bigger until finally you get out if you happen to go to public school or into the job world and you get out. But even once you get out of high school… Uh, that big circle that you have that is made up of lots of little circles, that gets smaller, and you go to work, and then that gets smaller. And the longer you work and the more you go up the chain, that world gets smaller until finally you retire, and your world's really small then. And then you start getting old or older, and you have to spend your time at home because you can't get out. And before you know it, your world is about one room large, and everything else seems to pale in your life. Our world these days, at least Western society, seems to be built on an emphasis of being alone or an individual. That means, and the reason I'm pushing all of that that hard is that it means that we have to work hard at building community. This has to be intentional for us. It has to be intentional in our own lives, on our private lives. We have to break out of that cycle that says, okay, I'm going to go home, but I'm just really tired, so I think I'm just going to go home and just be alone, just me and my wife for a while. But you know, you string about six weeks of that together, and you start losing track of what's out there. We have to work hard on the individual level, but also on the church level. And that's really where I want to kind of emphasize us today. I told you before, and I didn't really get much response from you, and I'm a little disturbed by that, but I'll get over it. I'm a young guy, relatively speaking. I love coming to church here. I do. And one of the reasons that I do, as Jeremy said earlier, uh, he may have a squirrel beard, but he has good insight into human nature, I found. <laughs> This is a friendly church. If you happen to be visiting with us, we just want you to know you're part of the family. Just come on in and be part of the family here. Teresa and I moved in. We're starting now our seventh month here, and it has been a great experience for us as you as a church have reached out to us and just pulled us close. This church does community really well. And I'm glad for that. I'm proud of you for that. And I'm saying for us today, that's something we're going to always have to really work hard at because the pressures of society would push us into smaller and smaller points of emphasis and work in our lives today. We have to work hard. But that's a problem. Because by definition, for us to live in community with one another means that we're going to have to be around one another. And you know how it is. Some people are just messy in the way they live their lives. Some people are hard to live in community with. Some people make it very difficult not to just wall off your house and go, I don't even want out anymore. I love what I think it was Mark Twain who first said it. I think he gets credit for this. He says, the more I get to know people, the more I love my dog. I guess that goes with what my dad used to say, you don't have to be a cannibal to be fed up with people. I wonder if the preacher of Ecclesiastes understood those things. And actually the answer to that is he absolutely understood those things. It was a quest for him. It was a chase for him. I'm going to go out, I'm going to see what's out there, and he achieved incredible things. And he comes to these conclusions, those two proverbs that bracket this passage. Uh, Being alone is not the best way to go at life. So maybe you're here today and you've been burned by people. First of all, just realize that even in that, you're not alone. People like to burn people. Not every people, but lots of people like to burn people. And so you may be thinking, I need some reasons for this because I have made a pretty nice little living out of being alone. So he gives us four reasons, and I'm not going to have time to look at all of them today. As a matter of fact, I'm probably just going to drill down on one or two pretty quickly here, and then we'll be finished. But before we finish here today... And as you go out, I want you to remember this, that we are designed to live in community, and that means we have to work at it. And even though as a church I think we do this really well, we always have to work at this. It needs to be one of those things that marks the reputation of First Baptist Church not only across this city but across this state and across this area. That's a church that makes room for people in their communities. Here's the first reason he gives us. It's in the first, uh, excuse me, the latter part of verse 9. The first reason to invest yourself in building community with other people is strictly due to productivity, latter part of verse 9, because they have a good reward for their toil. The word, word reward there, if your NIV, I think, says return. It is an investment word. It means larger profits, us to invest our lives in other people and live in community is because we accomplish more that way. We accomplish more, but we accomplish more with less effort, at least on the individual front. It's a great reason. The reason it's a great reason is because there's a lot of stuff that we need to accomplish. Jesus Christ has given us a mission that is impossible for us to pull off if it's just one of us. Let Let me take our musicians today as an example of this. Now, I preached a sermon one time in another church a long time ago that was tied to this whole idea of going it alone or, uh, using, or going with a group. And I used the musicians to help underscore that. It was out actually a spiritual gift sermon out of the book of Ephesians, but I used it this way. I had the drummer get up and come up and play a song on the drums. All right, now let me tell you, I love our percussionist. That… That, okay, I, this, this is the old part of me that just can't, I can't let go. Man, I love a great drummer. Some of my best friends were drummers, and I love what he does over here. You want to know how good he is? Put me on the trap set and see how it goes. <laughs> but as much as I love him and the work that he does there, after about five minutes of just the drum, I, I'm ready for some more. I want something else to go with him. And so, the next thing I did in that sermon, I put the drummer, I would let him go sit down, and then I pulled the bass player up and had the bass player play a lick or few. Now, my son plays the bass, so I have great appreciation for that. But even with that, after a couple of minutes, there's only so much you can do on the bass, really. If you don't have the bass in the drum, you're going to have, pro- I mean, in the band, along with the drummer, then you have problems. But even those two together, sooner or later, you start going, I need, I need some... Something else. You start pulling in other instruments, the lead guitar, the rhythm guitar. In our case, we pull in the orchestra. How about that French horn today, huh? Pull in the choir. You see, when it comes to making music, one person can do pretty well, but you start putting a bunch of musicians together who are accomplishing what they do, you have masterpiece. Life works better and we're more productive. We accomplish more with less effort. That's what he says as his first reason. Here's a second one. This is verse 10. The second reason that we should live in community is because we have help when we're in trouble. I was backpacking up in Pecos Wilderness outside of Santa Fe one time, five or six of us guys together, and we had been hiking all day. We got up there and got our tents and camps set up, and we're working on cooking supper when we heard somebody coming across the creek, uh, probably a hundred yards from where we were. It was a bunch of packers on horses. And they were going further up and going on around the trail from where we were, and so we were just going to kind of lay off and let them get past. But all of a sudden, we started hearing this commotion coming from the creek, and uh, somebody was screaming. And so we ran over to where that was happening. And as it turns out, one of the ladies on one of those horses had been thrown by the horse just as they crossed the creek. And we looked down, and her ankle was bent in directions no human ankle should ever go. Now, we were five, six miles into the backcountry. Where would she have been if she had been by herself with that? Fortunately, all of us in our backpacking group, at least, were trained in first aid, backcountry first aid, and so we were able to help stabilize her and try to keep her from going so far into shock that it was life-threatening for her, and eventually they got her down. But if it had been just her there, it would have been a bad scene. That's what he says here. It's the picture of this pilgrim, these group of people, as they're traveling from one place to another, they get hurt then there's community there that helps pull them through. The third reason, and I'll mention this when we go on, is the shared resources part of it, verse 11. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? The traveling pilgrim through the desert of the area around Jerusalem and what we would call modern-day Israel gets cold at night, kind of like it does here. And for them to warm up with one another, they would often lie next to each other. There's nothing improper about this at all. It is one of those survival techniques. And so they would come together like that, and two provides better warmth than one. That's the picture that he gives here. It's the shared resource part of this. Let me push that into your marriage for a second, because I know enough to know that many marriages across the United States today may have two people in them, but they're two individuals living separate lives. My dad used to say in marriage counseling, he told us this before we got married, when it comes to getting married, two can live as cheaply as one for half as long. Think about that. Let's push it down into the bottom shelf of how we live our lives as married people. Let's say we have children at home and we have children who are not necessarily married behaving the way we want them to. If two husband and wife, that is, are together in dealing with that child, it's a lot better for the husband and the wife than it is when they're at odds with each other living separately. There's a lot of meat in this if we were to just dig below the surface. I'll move on to say that there is shared resource that we have. The last one comes in verse 12, and that's their safety in numbers. Let me pull it all together this way as we close. Our Western society gives medals to individuals. But if we buy into that level of thinking for everyday life, we will be miserable, and we will not have the kind of life that is fulfilling. And so, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, two's better than one. Actually, at the end of verse 12, he says, three is better than one. So, don't live your life like a string. Live like a rope that has multiple fibers and multiple strings that come together and are woven together that makes it strong and useful for many different things. And as you do that, I want to once again just unashamedly recommend doing so in a body of believers who call on Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, uh, uh, I I just think y'all do it here, okay? Not because I'm here, not because we always just want more people. It's because this is a great place. Surround yourself with people who are on the same mission that you are. Surround yourself with people who can help you walk through life. That means, by the way, you can get some of that in a service like this, but the best way for you to do life with other people in a church is to get involved in the small group ministries of that church. So in 10 minutes, we're going to be out of here, and you're going to start heading to Sunday school class. It's in those groups. Those small Bible study groups, whether it's on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night or the various mission projects and groups that we have that do that, find yourself a place there. We will help you to do that because in doing that, you will find a greater level of fulfillment in the Christian life because we're designed for that. If you're here today and you don't know what Bible study class to go to, I have, there's a guy standing at the back right now who will show you how to get to where you need to go? And if you can't find him, that's Bob Nickel, by the way, find me. I'll be the fat, bald guy. I'll get you where you need to go. All right? We have great Bible study groups here who do life together. Find your place and plug in. Let's pray. And as we do that, again, the invitation to you today is are you going it alone? Are you finding a place with a group of people who help you walk with Jesus Christ? The invitation today is, what do you do with that? Do you know Christ as your Savior? If you don't, then that's what the invitation needs to accomplish for you. We'll help you with that, pray with you. Maybe it's to join this church. Maybe it's to make a new commitment to break out of that individual approach that you've had. Whatever it is that God's dealing with you about today, now's the time to make that decision. Father, change us and grow us for your glory today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.